Did you know, the cost of care tends to increase as one ages due to a variety of factors. These could include declining health, chronic care conditions, and a greater need for support to accomplish activities of daily living. Research shows that roughly 80% of older adults are not prepared to cover the cost of care as they age. Currently, many face financial challenges or are at a risk of encountering economic instability. Understanding available funding strategies and options to consider can help ensure older adults and their family caregivers are in the best financial position to meet their care needs. Hello everyone, I'm Cheryl Mijal and welcome to My Care Advisors. In this episode, The Time Is Now, Preparing for the Cost of Aging, we are joined by Wendy Rickabuck-Berkeley. She's a certified Alzheimer's disease and dementia care trainer, certified dementia practitioner, certified senior advisor, and owner of Care Patrol Gulf Coast. Welcome, Wendy. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, so great to be here. Thanks. So, Wendy, in your experience, what are just a few of those myths about paying for care as one ages that our listeners may have heard? Yeah. So what's crazy uh, when I talk with families is that they pretty much think that their loved ones can't afford care. And so the first misnomer that I'm going to point out is that most likely under normal circumstances, we can help people afford care, that it's not quite as expensive as maybe what they envision. Now, I'm not discounting that it's not going to cost a lot of money. It is. But there are a lot of different funding pathways that we're going to be talking about that might help people afford care and hopefully be able to stay at home as long as possible, right? But then also look at some options and community-based care options like assisted living. Well, fantastic. That sounds like it's one of the biggest misconceptions about that they can't afford care. I was wondering, Wendy, what are the potential expenses that are associated with aging that many may not even consider? People can go online and do a lot of research, but here, here's some facts. People are living longer, which they didn't anticipate. I know uh, I started out in Wall Street, and if we go back, goodness, 30 years ago, we didn't even talk about women living past the age of 82 and men living past the age of 78. Well, the average age of our client is 82 to 86 years old. So just normal common sense would tell you that because people are living longer, they also have more ailments or more health things that are taking place. And so because of that, uh, people just didn't financially prepare. So some of the expenses that people don't think about, home modification, right? Um, getting those rugs up. Maybe somebody's going to be in a wheelchair. Or maybe mom used to be five, six, and now she's five foot, <laughs> right? So she can no longer reach those upper cabinets, so to speak. So sometimes we have to modify the home. A lot of older homes have bathtubs. So a lot of times seniors can't step over the bathtub to get in and out to take a proper shower, um, so a lot of times people rip those out and they put, you know, they can modify the bathroom, but they don't think about, man, what if we modified mom and dad's home? What financially does that look like? And so that's always kind of like the first line, you know, gosh, we didn't plan that we're going to have to drop a hundred grand into mom and dad's home to modify a kitchen and a bathroom, um, or maybe pull out those carpets because they can't ambulate with walkers and wheelchairs on the carpets. So we need to put in um, hardwood floors or tiles or just low piling carpet that they can really maneuver around. So these are just examples of home modification cost. The other thing, because people are living longer, uh, we are seeing a huge increase in people with cognitive impairment. And it's predominantly because people didn't long enough 
lived long enough for us to know that they were going to have some sort of dementia related illness like an Alzheimer's. And so all of a sudden, you know, you've got moms and dads that are 82 to 86 years old or older, by the way. And, um, you know, just doing the day to day things that they once were cognitively able to manage, they no longer can do it. And so there's a lot of risks associated with leaving people that are cognitively impaired home alone. Um, boy, people really want to get crazy. They can Google away and find all sorts of horror stories on the internet, you know, just thinking they were doing the right thing. So, you know, that's a, that's another thing that we didn't prepare for that, hey, because mom and dad are living longer. Uh, and by the way, the Alzheimer's Association says that one out of six people over the age of 65 will be diagnosed with um, a dementia-related illness. One out of five will be Alzheimer's-specific. So very, very, very high statistics coming out of the Alzheimer's Association. Um, so it's inevitable that people that are living longer will definitely um, be at risk of having some sort of forgetfulness. And there's also just normal aging forgetfulness, but that may or may not be a risk. But also just the healthcare concerns, right? Mom and dad, all of us, I won't even say mom and dad, I would probably venture to say you and I could be put in the same category where we all want to stay at home forever, right? We want to die in our home. We're going to live in our home. We're going to be little tiny 85-year-olds and we're just going to fall asleep and not wake up. Well, the reality is that's not always the reality. Uh, people fall, they break hips, they have strokes, um, their bodies just naturally slow down, their brains slow down, just everything slows down. And I live in Florida. So down here, we have a lot of people that live here and their families live all around the country. So most often, they don't even have that family support network around them or kids relocate, right? We get people get married, move away, or maybe they're in the military or whatever reason, but they don't have the family support structure that maybe was once in our nation, I'm going to go back 50, 60 years ago. And so because of that, we just didn't prepare financially. And, you know, people don't think about that, right? Uh, I know when I worked on Wall Street, we talked a lot about, you know, what do you want retirement to look like? And how much do we need to save so we can meet that goal? And of course, they're like, well, we want to travel when we retire. We want to make sure we can put the kids through college and, you know, we want to move to Florida <laughs> or whatever that might be. And, uh, you know, and that's kind of where we left it. And they wanted to maintain as much of their current lifestyle that they could. And financial advisors are great. They run all these simulations and they say, great, to attain that, this is how much we need to put away and this is how we need to invest it. What we didn't talk about is that if you age and you kind of outlive your age expectancy, who are we going to pay to help you get in and out of the shower, on and off a toilet, in and out of bed? So these are all things that quite honestly, I think our generation talks more about it than maybe what um, my parents or my grandparents' generation talk about. And it's a pretty uncomfortable conversation to have, to be honest. Wendy, you're so right. You know, personally preparing for retirement potentially coming up in a handful of years, but all those things we prepare for, we don't think about preparing to age. No, not at all. Not at all. I just, it's not that we're, we're just immortal. I laugh every time because I'm in the senior business. So every time I meet with somebody, it's like they're immortal and they're going to live forever and not need any help ever. And I'm like, okay, you can't get in and out of bed. Like <laughs> you can't do simple tasks, like prepare a meal in your kitchen. 
or tie your shoes or, you know, uh, for ladies, fasten their their bras, like uh, very simple daily things that we just take for granted. Uh, when you age, your dexterity uh, driving, you know, I know everybody wants to drive forever, which I would really ask people to maybe on a side note, not part of the podcast, reconsider, um, you know, your your eye hand coordination, your reflexes, your ability to respond in a defensive way, it just all slows down. And so because of that, we need folks that can come along beside us and help us through some of those things. Yeah, that's so insightful. Thank you, Wendy, for sharing this information. And I'm sure you have so many client stories that helps to underscore this importance of preparing for the cost of aging. Can you just share maybe one of the stories that that come to mind? Godzillions. Oh, my goodness. So, you know, actually working with a sweet little couple right now. And I always say I love our little couples. Why? Because they almost they make like a whole person, right? They've been married 60 years, for example, or right around that, give or take, sometimes more. Um, And, you know, maybe one's cognitively a little stronger, maybe one's physically a little stronger. And together, they've they've really been able to thrive and, you know, live independently and be together. You know, and then something happens like this little lady that we're working with now, she fell and broke her hip. We'll come to find out when we peeled back some layers. um, She's been falling, right? She's been and she didn't want the family to know (laughs) because I because if you tell the family, the kids are going to get, oh, my gosh, mom's falling and we got to do something. And it's all, you know, everybody's nervous because we love most people love their parents. So we'll just go that they love their parents. Um, So, you know, it's super sweet because the husband and God bless them. You know, most men are not natural caregivers. It's normally the ladies that are just kind of that nurturer, caregiver role. Um, you know, and they just sit there and they almost weep because they don't know how to help their spouse and they feel um, inadequate. You know what I mean? And they're like, I should be able to help her, but I I can't hardly get myself in and out of bed or on and off a chair. And um, it's just sad. So, and that's a very common story, by the way. This is I bet we hear the same type of scenario, maybe just spun a different way, at least once a day. And so, you know, it's like, how do you give them that dignity and come along beside them and really give them options to support them on this journey of aging? And then also help create, help them understand all the different funding strategies to be able to pay for it. You know, inevitably we hear all too often, well, my mom and my mom only gets like, you know, $1,600 a month. You know, she can't afford anything. I probably should have talked about this in the misnomers, you know, so um, the the 1600 a month, I'm like, well, let's talk about that. You know, the income does not equal um, budget. So we're going to and I think we're getting ready to dive into that a little bit here. So, well, that's a great, a great lead in. And I was wondering, you know, as you started mentioning some of those funding strategies, what are some options that one should consider especially, you know, for not only just the older adults, but their family caregivers to make sure they're in the best position to meet their care needs. Yeah, this is great. So obviously, let's assume for one minute for the sake of this this conversation that mom and dad are not going to be immortal, live forever independently in their home. And maybe they can, but we got to talk about how to pay for it. So there, there are different funding strategies. And first off is that I just said income does not equal budget. So yeah, mom may have $1,600 or maybe together mom and dad get about $2,600. And that's very common for that generation. That, that If I had to pick a number that I hear quite often, that seems to be realistic. 
Well, the cost of assisted living, which is really, by the way, independent living with on-site assistance, mom and dad have their own apartment. These buildings build a care plan around them to support them. They come in and help and they leave. Mom and dad can still drive, still come and go, but it's their own apartment with 24-7 support. So I always like to say that. But funding strategies, and it's very simple. And we're going to, um, I'm going to provide you with sort of a bullet point uh, page that those listening to the podcast can always refer back to. There's not a lot of funding strategies, but there are some. So private pay, obviously, that's the income. Savings. People don't think about tapping into their savings. I used to tell people, we're going to help you save that money for a rainy day. It's raining. It's actually pouring and it might be thunderstorms. So we might have to spend a little bit of your money. Um, people's homes are an asset, right? So there's an asset. A lot of that generation has completely paid for their homes. So that's a an asset that's sitting there that's worth money. Um, long-term care insurance policies. Now, statistically, only about 10% of Americans have them uh, because they're very costly. And you pay on them up until the time you activate them. But it is an asset that most of them are written that if you don't use it, you'll lose it. So we want to use it. Um, VA. So if we have veterans that served in a wartime, that's critical, served in a wartime, and it's for the veteran or their spouse. Now, the spouse cannot have divorced from them, but if the um, the veteran deceased during the time of their mari- marriage and they've not remarried, um, they were honorably discharged. There's a few criteria, but VA has a program that's actually designed to augment income to help pay for care. So that's a funding strategy. And then not all states, but there are quite a few states across the country that have Medicaid and it's Medicaid that's designed to augment income and help pay offset the cost for assisted living and memory care. So not all states, but a lot of states have it. So those are some different funding strategies that people can look at. What I discourage people to do, and I bet if you lined up a thousand financial advisors and a thousand elder law attorneys, they would probably all agree that doing a reverse, let's just say somebody does have a mortgage on their home, not to do a reverse mortgage. Because once you start needing care, you've just leveraged one of the only assets most seniors have. So there again, they think they're a mortar. They're going to be able to stay in that house forever. But if they're already at that 78, 79, 80-year-old age, I'm going to strongly discourage doing that because that's an asset that could be sold and used to help pay for care. So those are all the different kind of funding strategies that are out there. And there again, I'll I'll provide a a one-page attachment for you to include that will talk about the different funding strategies. Now, we can obviously dig in deep to each of those, but given the time that we have on the call, obviously, if people have an interest, they can certainly reach out to us and we can slow it down and be specific to them and their needs and relative to what's available for them. Wonderful. Thank you, Wendy. We'll make sure that we have that tip sheet and that list on the website uh, with the podcast. So thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah. So thinking about sharing information, what are a few tips to help start that conversation about care wishes and paying for care, especially for family members? You mentioned, you know, couples as they age. How do you just start that conversation? Well, this is what's crazy. Most people, when I meet them, you know, do you have your your kind of your paperwork together? They're like, yeah, I have a will. I'm like, great. That's who gets your stuff when you die. I want to talk about how you want to live, right? How do you want to live and how do we obtain that? 
And then do you have your powers of attorney established? Well, most seniors, and, and even me, me and my husband, we are each other's power of attorney. But our attorney advised us to go two or three people deep. And especially as you start to age or if somebody gets cognitive impairment, we want to make sure that there's someone who can help make medical, legal, and financial decisions. And, and guess what? The number one thing um, is making sure that that person knows that they are your power of attorney. There's nothing worse than getting a phone call and said, oh, we found in some papers to work somewhere that your mom's or dad's or mom and dad's power of attorney and they've been in a car accident. We're like, what? Like, what? So the very first thing is to really, really, really say, hey, we need to have this talk because I want to make sure you know how I want to live, that you know where my important papers are, that you have access to those important papers. Because guess what? Under HIPAA, doctors and nurses and other people, financial advisors, they cannot discuss anything about your loved one with you unless you are their power of attorney and have been given permission to do so. So that's really super important that um, if if you are a loved one and you're looking to start a, so if you're the senior listening to this or you're the family member of a senior or just a friend, caregiver, whatever your role is um, on this journey for someone, to sit down and make sure that you have just brought it up as uncomfortable as it is. If it's uncomfortable for you, bring in a quote unquote outside consultant like Care Patrol that can help start that conversation for you. If you're not comfortable to say, hey, we want to help make sure that we've got a game plan. Plan A is you're immortal, you'll need nothing. But plan B is if something happens, what do you want that to look like? And do they know that you want it to look like that? I just got a call yesterday from a hospital and it was from um, a sister of a gentleman who, by the way, is married, but his wife has dementia. And that's a whole nother conversation for a whole nother podcast who was home alone um, and still driving and getting lost. We had to go get her. Um, but long story short, the sister had no idea that she and the brother was in surgery. He couldn't speak and they couldn't ask the wife because she has dementia. I'm like, OK, prime example. People think they're ready. They're not. So. If you're not comfortable starting the conversation and kind of talking about making sure that you know what that is, you have a copy of it, give us a call. We'll help you with that. It's what we do. Kind of use us as that outside free community resource consultant that can come in and sit down with everybody and get that conversation started. Wendy, I really like how you positioned it. You're right. So right. People always think about the will. And I loved what you said about, actually, we need to speak about how you want to live. That's perfect. So thank you for sharing those tips. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I was wondering, are there some resources? You mentioned Care Patrol, of course, right. that our listeners could really access to learn about how to be more prepared, especially for paying for care costs as they age. Yeah. So here's here's the thing. I'm going to send you one more, uh, one more resource guide to upload. And I, I would say my biggest my number one thing with every single family, like I've been doing this 10 years, 10,000 families later, so I've got to repeat this message a lot, um, is that if people do nothing else, whenever we meet with elder law attorneys here locally, the one thing that I hear consistently is that every stage of life, you need to do a refresh on your paperwork, meaning that the way you felt about your life and your money at 30, at 40, at 50, 70, 80, is probably going to feel and look a little bit different. Also, everybody, ha if you have children or maybe you don't have children, kind of who are these people in your life 
that are going to be there on this journey to help you execute. And if you don't have anyone, there are professional people like care managers that can even come along and be your quote unquote pseudo family for a fee. So um, we want to have a sort of like, what do we need to do? So obviously doing a refresh on your paperwork if you haven't had one. Also talking with a true elder law attorney about how to preserve your assets and not disqualify yourself from public benefit and entitlement programs like VA and Medicaid. A couple of the things we just talked about as funding strategies. So VA has a three-year look back. Medicaid has a five-year look back. So what you do with your money matters, but you need to do it before you're laying in a hospital bed and need the money. But there again, we go in with this immortal attitude that I'm never going to need anything until we do. So sometimes we're a little bit behind the eight ball and money's not positioned to be able to really just, you know, have access to those extra dollars. So we want to get prepared for that. I typically tell people when I speak at conferences all across the country and here locally, I share with them that if you are 70 years old, you need to go meet with somebody like yesterday, not next week, not next month when you get back or when you have more time. I'm talking, you make the phone call. So one of the resources that I've listed on this page is reaching. And if you have an attorney, I'm not trying to you know, get people to leave their attorney. However, an elder law attorney is a specialist at this stage of life. They are the cardiologist of law when it comes to funding strategies and how not to disqualify yourself. And so I encourage people to go out to the National Association of Elder Law Attorneys. The acronym for that is NALA, N-A-E-L-A, and it's just NALA.org. They can find a local elder law attorney in their, in their backyard and reach out. Most of them are very low cost to no cost for an, an initial consultation to talk about what this next chapter of life can look like financially and so that they're not disqualified from these public benefit and entitlement programs. Most of them are VA accredited. They know all the Medicaid laws in their states. And so it's a really, it's an entirely different conversation than just getting a will or a power of attorney. That will be part of it, but it's so much more than that. It's about the money piece. And then making sure that they work with that um, elder law attorney and their financial advisor. And if they don't have one, that they get a financial advisor to make sure everything is set up and titled exactly the same so the money flows and that their end of life wishes can be fulfilled. That sounds different than just like, hey, I need a will or I need an estate plan. Estate plan is like a fancy term to get powers of attorney. You know what I mean? So it's a little bit more intensive than that, especially if people, I tell people, if you sell everything today, Let's just say you sold everything. What would be in that bucket? And that's what we got to try to hang on to. People who have a lot of money want to keep it. People who do not have a lot of money want to leverage it, right? So that's what we've got to do for every single person. So there's also some other things that will be on this checklist. And I know um, I want to make sure that I highlight just a couple more things and we can wrap it up here. But, um, you know, making sure that if... Um, you know, your bills, if you're in the hospital and you go to rehab and you're there, let's just say for two months, who's paying your bills? All of a sudden it's the power of attorney, right? Do they have access to pay your bills? Do they have access to your bank account? Um, do they have keys to get in your house? And what I love is people are like, yeah, I've got my will. It's in a safe deposit box at the bank. I'm like, okay, uh, they need a key. Like they need access. So like, how do they get that? You know, so it's, it's quite interesting that people don't think on that realm because, you know, they've just been living independently. They've been doing their own thing for so long. And all of a sudden they're not. So there are a few things on that checklist. But the number one thing, if nobody does anything I tell them ever, if they would do one thing and please reach out to an elder law attorney and have that conversation, set themselves up for success.
And if they never need it, awesome. But if they do, they're ready. Wendy, thank you for sharing these tips and ideas. And you're right. In a moment, life changes. And so you have to be prepared. And I was wondering, any closing thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners today? Um, I don't know if it's just closing thoughts. I know I just hit it pretty hard. You know, this is this isn't the most uh, exciting information. It's not like we're going on a big vacation somewhere. You know, we're going to Europe and we're traveling. I mean, but this is equally as important. Um, and I know that a lot of times people just don't want to spend the money. Um, but sometimes we're going to have to spend a little money. Our whole healthcare system is shifting, um, in a sense, to more private pay. Um, your Medicare is medical insurance, not activity of daily living insurance. So if you break a leg, you break a hip, you have a stroke, the hospital's going to fix you up, get your rehab, and send you out. Now, where out is, that's either a home or to a community-based care option. So we got to be ready about how to support ourselves and take some personal responsibility in that process. Thank you, Wendy, for sharing your insight on the importance of being prepared to pay for care as one ages. Listeners, to view resources, show notes, and access more My Care Advisors episodes, visit MyCareAdvisors.com. You can also subscribe and listen to our podcast on your favorite app. I leave you with this quote from Alexander Graham Bell. Before anything else, preparation is the key to success. Choose to be inspired to live the best life every day. Thank you for listening. We are grateful to be your guide.